five, four, three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. You know who John and Hugh are. <laughs> Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Andrew McCall. And oh, upstate. Upstate. Another <laughs> one of us went to App State. Inside joke, you had to be there. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me today. Good to see you. Good to see you here in person. Yo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, just for just for some context, I've known Endo since two, since the summer of 2013, where uh, he was the assistant manager and I was a, a summer direct sales rep knocking on doors. So doing door to door sales in uh, McAllen, Texas, which is more North Mexico than South Texas, but, uh, but yeah, we, that's, that's when, that's when we, we first got connected and we've like been in touch since then. Like we've, I think I've, I think I've hung out with Endo in like five different cities. Yeah. Uh, and, but, uh, yesterday is the first time that we hung out in Seattle, uh, which is very funny on Thursday, I think yeah. he was like, yo, are you still in Seattle? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm here. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow, like sometime. And I was like, okay, great. Let me know. And the next day he's like, be there by five. And I was like, okay, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Van life. It's, um, I, I guess I, I have great memories with you and knocking doors. And that was a really interesting time, I think in both of our lives, but in, in my life, especially that was really when I started to understand personal development and um, becoming who I want to become and that the essence of life is about your becoming and not what you're doing. And, and that was so interesting because I was knocking doors in McAllen, Texas. You know, it's like one of the dunkiest experiences, really challenging to me. It was just, I don't speak fluent Spanish, not enough to, to sell alarms door to door. Um, but right before that, I had like one of the best seasons of my life in sales and then went to there and it was like total opposite. Um, and I think that was a really pivotal experience of it's, it, it don't hang too much on what you're doing right now. Uh, but give yourself time to get there. Cause you're going to have seasons where it's, it's like super good. And then seasons where it's not great at all. And, and Ogmandino says, he's, um, he says, learn this phrase is this too shall pass. And when things are really good, just know this too shall pass. When things are really bad, just know this too shall pass. And, uh, but that was an interesting time because it was like right before that in Beaumont was destroying it in sales and then get down to McAllen and just could not sell for the life of me. And and to know, like, you still pull through all of those seasons and can make a make a great life, you know. So, anyways, that was interesting. It's an interesting time. So, yeah, we know each other. It's good to good to know you, J.K. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, and I mean, since since then, Endo's been killing it. Like, I, I see I see what Endo does, and I'm just like, oh man, I have I have this many years to to reach a quarter of that, and then I'll be I'll be like really I'll be really good. But the, the difference the difference with Ando is that uh, he's he's out here hustling, he's out here uh, just like doing business and and reading books and and learning and all this stuff. But the the difference is that he he has a grand vision and he has he has this big this big idea of like like 
while I'm on this planet Earth, like how do I want to nudge the direction of humanity? And it's just going to be a nudge because there are seven billion people in this world. Like we're not, we're not, uh, like not all of us are Elon Musk, and that's okay. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I I admire just the combination of of a. Uh, of like killing it in business, uh, which we can get into, um, like personal development and and like and learning and education and all that, um, and also and also like having fun while you're at it and like and like still still having time to hang out with the kids and 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 like be communicative with the wife and all that. But that's all under the umbrella of like following this grand vision, um, but. Yeah, that's and, and to that point, it's that is that is one of my favorite parts of life, and I I think that um, you you know to somebody that looks at my life, they would say, oh, you're killing it. Um, killing it is relative to your potential in life, and um, and that's that's one of the greatest gifts to me is to unlock the potential in other people to do even more good and. Um, when you say we're not all Elon Musk, Elon Musk is after a vision that he has, um, which is to have interplanetary existence, right? To to pop, you know, to make sure that I don't know if you guys have read Isaac Asimov and Foundation, um, but just this concept of getting to terminus and um, you know, like when the galaxy implodes, that they've already populated this other planet. And it was kind of through trickery and, um, but it, but it saved humanity by the time they were on to, you know, the, the 50 year capsule had been opened, uh, by the scientists. And then, and he's like, it was all, it wasn't for the research. We didn't go to terminus for the research. It was basically now there's the population is too big here for you guys to go back, um, to the, to the Mecca planet. And so they had to stay, but then it was like, well, now we've got, got to fight wars and all this stuff. So it's really interesting, but Elon Musk's whole thing was like, yeah, I mean, it's like, we have to get to another planet to protect us in case this planet, we destroy ourselves through world war Z or world war three, or Larry page just creates a robot army that like that Russia hacks. And then we're all in really big trouble. Um, so anyways, there, uh, but to have a grander vision, and, and I love that, you know, we've talked about that in Ashley Vance's book, uh, Musk, is on the outside of his office in, at SpaceX, there's two, two pictures, one of Mars as it is today, and one of Mars once it's colonized, and, and it's, you don't have to put a mission statement next to that, <laughs> it's just, it's so clear what his mission is, and what his vision is, um, that, you either align with it or you don't. And the people that align with it are going to propel him closer to that vision. Um, and my mission and my vision is to find the future leaders of humanity and unlock their potential for more good. So although I may not be able to make a great impact in, in my lifetime, um, I could set in motion a belief or plant a seed that somebody fosters. And in a generation to five to 10 generations from now, it's, it, it's, you wouldn't even know there was a nudge. It was just like a total transition in the way we approach people and the way we care about people. Like it's, it's not race, it's not sex, it's not sexual orientation, it's not your belief system. Um, it, is, it is just the belief in humans that we are capable 
of doing wonderful things and um, and creating wonderful things. And um, so when I, I always just think of that as, as it's such a relative thing, you know, to say somebody's killing it and we promote, um, you know, the, I think three years ago, the buzzword was um, hustle. I think that, that was probably like Gary V, hustle, 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 hustle. And then it was maybe the year before that was add value. So it's like, I want to, I want to add value. And then it was like, well, I need to hustle. And then it was the grind. And, and I, I think, and then it turned into what, oh, be present. Now, now it's like, you got to be present, dude. It's all about the, it's all about being present and being, being here in the moment. And, and, and then it's, Right. Like, so there's, there's these trending and I think what, like five years ago, it was selfie. So it went from like, from like selfie to hustle to now it's like be present. And uh, so now we're creating social media apps that you can only use the back camera. Right. So like paparazzi stuff. So it's like no selfies. Um, so we're, we're very funny as a human race, like how we have these mega trends um, and these macro trends in society that, um, we look back and it's, and we'll see it's patternistic that we will come full circle and we'll get back to, you know what, we actually probably should just get back to hustling because all this other shit was such a waste of time. <laughs> like, like we figured out two cameras on one phone and then we went to one camera on one phone and then we realized like, oh, we should probably just have phones. <laughs> that way we could just like, we'll just talk to each other. And so it's just funny to see these patterns, but I think that we glorify the hustle and we glorify the grind. And I, I went through that season in my life um, during that hustle, those hustle years of building a mega, mega company, you know, as an executive and, um, and, it, and, and there was a glorification of working 18 to 20 hour days. There was a glorification of grinding so hard and always being on and always adding content and always creating value. And I would say, you could look at that and say, in one sense, it's, it's a success. And I would say the only success for me out of all of that was that it brought me to a place of looking for who I really am. Who am I really? Um, somebody said, Dale, Dale Partridge, he wrote the book, People Over Profit, but I had a call with him over a month ago. And he, he said a quote, he said, the only thing that the, that the rich know that the poor don't is that at the top, there's actually nothing there. And, um, and it was a really, I, I don't agree with the statement. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a clever thing to say. Uh, I think there are things at the top that are absolutely valuable and um, applicable to serving people. Um, so to say that I think is a blanket statement that sounds pious, but it, it actually is, is void of understanding of influence um, at a, in a position. But anyways, it was just interesting because during that season, Although I was at the pinnacle and at the top of my career and who I, you know, who I was and had great influence, it also helped me uh, find who I want to become. And um, I think that the, the journey is, can you craft what you're after? Can you craft this statement of what you're after and then start to live your life to become that person and fulfill that mission? And, and we, we say Elon is this guy mainly because he, he was able to craft his vision and he's after that. That's all that it is. And we would say he's a success because he's getting close. He's getting close. He's getting close. He's getting close. And so you, we all want to root for somebody that is trying something. It doesn't have to be glorious or, or righteous. You know, I, we were joking this morning because I have this statement 
in the front of my journal. So I, I'm journaling for 20 years and I'm over, you know, 2,230 days into it. It's, you know, 7,300 day journey. And so I've got all these journals filled up and it's just, it's, it's recapping every day. And I started, it was the value season, but I was like, how do I get value out of my life? You know, I get value out of the day. So I want to live with intention. And I put, and I made this table statement. I said, 20 years from today, I'll be sitting at the table with the most intentional philanthropeneurs on the planet. And so you can fill that in with anything you want. So you could be like the most exotic pole dancer, you know, like, I don't care what it is, but if you, if somebody put, you know, like a, a picture of a pole outside of their, their office, and then a picture of a, of a pole with like, you know, 50,000 people around them dancing on it. And it's like, you don't have to have a righteous mission statement, but I would probably go to the show. You know, like I would probably buy a ticket because they want, I want to see like, did they, did they nail, did they nail it? Like, did they actually become that person? And if they do, it's like, dude, you let's did go. It. You did it. You did it. So I think, um, you know, and I was, I'm so thankful. You're, it's very gracious to say, you know, like I'm killing it or whatever. Um, for me, and JK says so well this morning, we were at breakfast and it was like, hey, do as good as you can where you're at and then take your chips to a bigger table. And, and for me, that's what it is. You know, I resigned in February from one of the greatest positions in the nation as the executive director of the largest privately held solar company in the nation and was set for life. And I, there's no reason for me to leave, right? Like no reason. Through COVID, you know, there's like if any time, if there's ever a time to not bet on yourself and believe in your mission, it's right now. Like you, dude, you do not have to look for reasons to stay. You don't. They're, they're just, it's like whatever you do, don't get fired or say anything stupid on, on social media, you know, like, because you're dead and you can't get a job. Um, and for me, it's more of a timing thing. I reached where I wanted to be at the top. And so it was like, I'm taking my chips and I'm going to bet on myself and I say, what's next. And so, you know, to, to that point, I would say I'm killing it more now in life than I ever have. And I have absolutely nothing to show for it because I'm at the very front end of the funnel and say, this is the, this is what I live for is to get something built. And I did that. So I'm not going to stick around and, and marvel at it. It's, it becomes a statue, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Don't know me for what I did three years ago. That's that. I don't want to be known as that guy. Oh, you're the guy that built that thing. I'm not that guy. I'm a guy that's building every day and still going. Yeah. So that is, I think when we get into mission and vision and it doesn't have to be big and it, and it, it's, it, it has to be your belief in yourself that this is what is going to fulfill your life. And when you look back, the Jeff Bezos, right? The 80, the 80 year question. When I look back 80, when I'm 80 years old, well, I'd be like, damn, I'm glad I did that. Like, I'm so glad I did that, right? I'm so glad I got, I did that pole dance and I, and I nailed that routine. And yeah, he was like, man, this, we gotta, we gotta take some pole dancing lessons. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, I'll be a, the first customer. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful so yeah so that's that's my thoughts on it but we've all and and i guess you have to you have to you have to appreciate people that have vision um but i think more than that is to ask the question 
what am I after in life and who am I becoming? Um, because, you know, I, I just built this van. We did this, the Nissan NV200, and I built it out in a week and a half. And, um, and there are millions of people online that are, they're into like van porn, not like doing porn in a van, but like, they're, they're like, it's like fantasies is what I call it. Like they're like, they oh, I love this word. Fantasies. They, they, they fantasize <laughs> over like, oh, I want, oh, van life looks so rad. And like, they watch the 10 things that every van, you know, that sucks about van life. And like the three things you can't live without in van life. Dude, like they, they know everything about van life and they, they like can barely afford their car payment right now. You know, like, it's like, bro, you're, you're not going to go and live in a van. So, so stop living somebody else's life and get onto living yours. Do you want to actually live in a van? Does that help you accomplish what you're after in life? Cause if not, then move on. Why would you invest so much time into geeking out on somebody else's lifestyle? That's not what you're after. You can be entertained by it, but it gets to a point where it's like, oh, dude, that would be so sick. And you start to live as a dreamer and you have no plan towards actually accomplishing those goals. So for me, my, I was like, dude, I'm going to get a van. So I went a day later and bought a van. And then I was like, I need to go to the East Coast and spend a couple months building a business. So I'm leaving in a week. So I had a timeline. So I, you know, what usually takes three to six months to build a van. I was done in a week and a half and I'm done and I'm on the road and I'm in Seattle in my van and, and sleeping in my van. And it's, and so, but there's this, you've got to ask the question. People will look at that and they'll be like, dude, that's so rad. Like, oh bro, how this and that. And you, you don't, the, the goal is not to become a vanticizer. You know, you don't, you don't want to live in fantasy world. You want to move on, be like, cool, dude, that's cool. Nice van, whatever. Like that doesn't change my life. Like I'm not going to go live in a van, but we get pulled into people that have vision and people that live their best life. And we see the gap between where we're at and who we think we want to be. And we give up and we let other people live it for us. And we live vicariously and we say, oh, that guy's crushing it. That guy's doing it. And it's like, they're actually not. It's just that you're not committed to anything. So everything looks like it's better than your life everything kind of reminds me of how, <laughs> how yesterday uh you're, you're we we went to a bar uh hung out with toby from actually our last episode and toby. And, toby. <laughs> and 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 that person was like oh you actually live in a van i literally know a dozen people who, who want to do that exact thing but you're the only one i've met who's actually living in a van yeah he's like yeah so you, you actually live in a van <laughs> it's like yeah yeah no i got the van it's like parked outside like i'm gonna sleep there tonight <laughs> he's like whoa i know a lot of people that talk about this and like no, i've never met anybody that lives in a van so yeah it's um but i i you know to that point of vision and crushing it and killing it is crush it on your terms. And, you know, Gary V literally wrote the book on, he, it's called, you know, crush it or whatever. And so he's got jab, jab, right hook. He's got all of them, all of them. And, um, but if you live your days consuming content of, of other people, the only reason why they're crushing it is because you're consuming their content. They're, they are who they are because they've got people like you watching them. So if you just get off it, you'll have a much better chance at doing something with your life and, and having some type of clarity around what you're after. Um, and that has, like, when I deleted social media, 
gosh, like four and a half years ago, probably five years ago now. Yeah, I've been on Facebook, Insta, all of that. I, I have one Insta for my house in um, in Modesto because it's like this really cool house and people want a mid -cent want to look at mid-century homes. But um, but I've been off social media for so long that my I, I live my life all day long. All day long, I live my life. Like I get to be here. I get to kick it. I'm not like trying to do anything creative or, you know, like try and get anybody to agree with what I'm happy about in life. It's like, I'm just fucking happy. And, and it's so rad all the time. And you don't have, in fact, I'm, it's probably better if you don't know about it because you would, you would probably be unhappy that I'm happy. So just, I think that with 90, 10, like 90% of the people that you, that ask how you're doing, don't care. And the 10 that do actually want to see if you're doing bad. <laughs> like they hope you're not doing well. So it's better to just not really talk to anybody unless you know them real well and you've got some type of venture that you're working towards. So that's my thoughts on it anyways. I love it. So yeah. on, your, on your journey uh, to realizing this, this mission and, and goal for what you want to be creating and working towards, how did you end up there? How did you find it? rather than Good. just watching and being a venticizer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so cool. Um, dude, and w epic question. Um, it, dude, that's, that is such a wonderful question um, because I, this is what I would say is, first off, is your first version is not the final version. That, I mean, that is so important to understand. Wait, are you sure the first time you ever try something, you're not a professional and you don't right, right, get right, it right, and right, it's right. not perfect? Right, right, right. I don't believe it. Can we stop the show? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. pause. We're spreading pause. <laughs> fake we news. Fact check this guy. Yeah. Um, the, uh, hmm. Yeah, so, and, and we say that, right? But then when we're trying to do something, we're like, I'm not going to do this. There's no way. This is too hard. But we don't, uh, generally we think about um, think about learning a craft like programming or development or design and we stay with that because it's it's career oriented there's a return we see money from it and all of that when you get into your definite purpose and your definite chief aim and your statement of desire and the table you want to be at and crafting your your council of people in your head and your vision statement and your like and you map this out generally what i've seen is one, there's not a lot of guidance around that topic of how to actually craft your statement of desire. So if you read Thinking Grow Rich, great, wonderful, like it'll show you chapter two. This, these are the, the five steps that you take to write your statement of desire, your definite chief aim in life. Um, but what I've, what I've learned is by reading a couple hundred books, personal development, autobiographies, you, know, you go through a hundred books a year, you get a knowledge base that's pretty strong. And then a lot of it ends up being about the same. There's, there's, there's minor differences or, you know, little things where like, oh, they, I like the way they phrase that, but it's not anything new. Um, so what I would say, uh, it, what changed my life were questions. People asked me very, very powerful questions. And I, and I had mentioned this before, I actually mentioned this at the mastermind and uh, the three questions that I received were, um, one of them, I was new to sales and I had, I didn't sell anything and, um, and, and, or I was barely selling. And, and he goes, dude, did you read the books on the recommended reading list? I was like, nah, I can't dude. they're $16. I can't afford that. Like, you know, like I come from that. We're not, I was not educated as a kid, you know, whatever. And so I, 
So I go, I can't afford it. He goes, dude, what if that book could make you $10,000? So I went and bought all four. And, and that summer I made over $45,000. So I, I literally, like, I just applied what I learned and that changed my understanding of, of education that people have already created the, the narrative and the framework. You just have to follow it and then modify it where you need to, right? And so that was one, um, JK was actually another one, was, was another really significant question where I was, and it was in Texas, it was in McAllen, which is so funny, uh, where uh, I was blogging and I was writing about personal development. So it was really just regurgitating the things that Darren Hardy and Jim Rohn and Brendan Burchard and Keith Ferrazzi and all these gurus had written. But I was trying to like, okay, if this is true, then like, then I need to, I need to talk about this. Like I need to, you know, really get this out there to the world that this is life-changing. And JK goes like, who are you writing for? Like, who are you, who's your, who are you, who's your target audience? I was like, everybody, like who doesn't need what I have to say? <laughs> and, and I realized <laughs> like nobody wants to read what I have to say. <laughs> Um, and it was, and it, and it helped me to think like, wow, I don't know the answer to that question. I actually don't even know who I'm writing for. And so these questions stayed with me over time. And it wasn't until I started to actually write the blog three years ago, where I said, I'm going to write a hundred book reviews, but blog posts. And that was where I learned how to condense what you've read and put it into a narrative and, and spin a story in a short form and get a point across. And, and it wasn't until I got to post maybe 70 something when I was writing on Stephen King's, uh, his memoir on writing. And in there, he says, uh, write for your ideal reader, your IR, and only for them. So the whole time, Hugh, if you're my ideal reader, I'm writing for you the entire time. Now, when you're writing, if you've ever written a blog or anything like that, you'll want to spin off a thing or two for this guy, a thing or two for, oh, I know they'll love this. Oh, and, and then in the end, you end up, you don't, they're not going to read the whole thing though, right? They're not your ideal reader. They don't want to read your crap. They'll never make it to the part you want them to read anyways. So you've got to stay with the ideal reader. And then what he says is the first pass, write with the door closed. The second pass, write it with the door open. And your final draft should be 10% less than what you originally wrote, right? You should be omitting stuff. Um, because what happens is if you put your content out there before it's finished, like while you're writing it and you're like, oh, I was thinking about this and I was going to write this and I kind of like this and you're discussing it, people will give you their opinion before you wrote what you thought. So you're going to actually be writing the thoughts of somebody else. And then you're not going to be happy with what you write. So he says, write what you want to write with the first pass for your ideal reader, then rewrite it with the door open where they can criticize it. Well, why are they wearing the green dress? It's, you're like, the green dress is irrelevant in this. Move on, right? Like, but, but if you, but if she says, what's the, what's the deal with the green dress? When you're thinking about it, then you're like, oh, the dress must be important. The dress isn't important. That's not the point of the story. So anyways, it's really interesting. So when you say like, how did you get there? Dude, it was somebody asked me a question. And so my personal brand, Love Ando, is the art of asking better questions. And so I'm on a hunt all the time. Like yesterday, I was reading The Coaching Habit again. And it's like, there's so many perfect questions. Like the, a, the, the awe question is, and what else? So we're talking and I'm going on a tangent and, you're, and you could just be like, wow, that's interesting. And what else? 
and and I'm like, oh, so then but then you do this thing, and you go, hmm, and and what else? And it's oh, oh, and then there's this thing. It's well, well, what else, right? And you're like, I think that's it. You're like, okay, that's great. And then you move on to the next thing, right? But you through questions, you learn to draw out of people the best content. You learn to draw out of people their secrets, their right, and then. From a sales perspective, you learn tie-down questions because questions are important, wouldn't you say? Right? That's a tie-down question, isn't it? See, that's a tie-down question. So mm -hmm. people have to naturally agree. So anyways, to me, it was a journey. It, it's, it's not overnight, but, but what I wanted to say was you have to have, you have to take a first crack at it. And when you look at where I'm at, read 100 books a year and go to masterminds and have a mastermind and have a wonderful group of people in my life and have great resources and access to resources and capital. And um, it's easy to look at where, where you're at if you're watching this and say, well, I'm not there. Okay, who cares? Where are you? Start there. And let me ask you a question. If you haven't read the book you haven't read, it'll, it won't help your life. What's the last book you read? And did you finish it? And how long did it take you? I'm kind of midway through this book, right? Like, girl, stop apologizing, or girl, wash your face, or like, whatever. You know, it's like some, something I saw on New York Times bestseller list. They call them New York Times bestseller list, not New York Times most read list, because people don't read the damn things, they just buy them. It, the, the book, the, Taming the Paper Tiger, she says, we buy books thinking that with it, we also buy the time to read them. So you see like, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. And then you say, I know, look at all these books I haven't finished. So when I send a screenshot of my Audible, you'll see finished, 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 because you want to finish them. You, you really, the book you didn't read won't help you. And the, uh, I told JK this, this, somebody sent me something yesterday. This guy says, when you look at your library, it's a reflection of who you are in life. It should reflect back. And, um, and the books you read ultimately become the wallpaper of your mind. And, and I think of that, I look at who I am today. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, that is, it's so true that all of the books I've read are a reflection of who I am today and my beliefs because it showed me what's possible. I would have no framework for belief and what I could do if I didn't see somebody else had already, already done it. One of the greatest things I read, oh my gosh, it brought me to, I just was floored. It was, um, it's in the book, uh, I want to say it's Endure, and it's on, um, it's on our physical abilities to accomplish things, and like how, why is it that somebody could try and climb Mount Everest, and fail towards the top, change their diet, and then make it. Same person. Like how our physical bodies are designed to have governors to stop us from, from overheating, right? But you can change your diet and reprogram certain things if, you, if you're hitting different triggers. But anyways, one of the guys that was trying to run the sub two hour marathon, he missed it by 12 seconds. And at the end of it, I mean, they put so much into this, right? Uh, Nike. And it was, it was a huge deal. It's the end of the book. And he goes, now the rest of the world is only 12 seconds away. And, and that statement to me 
was one of the most powerful statements I had ever read that he didn't hit it, but he showed everybody, you've only got this much more to go. You've only got this much more to go. And so I just think of um, all of these books and all of what I've read in this whole journey and having great mentors in my life that speak into my life that I can watch what they do. Uh, it's just exposing yourself to what's possible and then taking a crack at it. And, and I look at my first goals that I set and I look back and I say, wow, I hit some of these. I should have asked for more. And I say, wow, I'm hitting my goals today. I should have asked for more. And in the end, you know, you get to the end of life and you probably, I, I think I might say, I should have asked for more uh, just because I'm a conservative in some ways. But I think the idea is, did I try? Did I try? And when I'm done, could I look back and say, look, guys, you're only this far away. When Elon's done, if he doesn't get there in his lifetime, we'll know how much further we have to get there, right? It, and that is part of when you say move the earth or nudge it a little bit, I think that's the intention is, can you show the rest of the world what's possible and how close they are to achieving what seemed like an unaccomplishable task? That's what I think. I love it. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So yeah. what I'm still curious about is of all the possibilities out there, mm -hmm. why is it that Senor Ando chose the vision statement that you have of yeah. all the possibilities yeah why choose that one yeah um i think that we say uh at first we create our habits and then our habits create us and um and that is how i feel about this is i started out really um with journaling was i I realized that I was journaling like in different journals. I was taking business notes. I was doing this and I kept trying to find stuff and I couldn't find it. And I was like, I'm a mess. And all these books and these gurus say you should journal. And I was like, I am, I've got 50 and I don't know where anything is. So these guys are either wrong or I don't know what I'm doing. So I, and, and, you know, my, my life story was a little tragic of, you know, my mom left when I was two, my dad was into drugs and abusive. He was in jail. He was on a rehab. He was a womanizer. Uh, he was unfaithful. So my mom left with her daughters. And then, and then I met my mom when I was 10. And then um, when I was 11, my dad drowned in a river. And so my whole life changed. Right. And then lived with my mom in Texas. We were very, very poor. We lived on people's floors in the church and bounced around. And, um, and I, and so for me, I, I deal with abandonment. You know, this is a personal, like a uh, person insight to who Ando is. Uh, I have uh, major issues with abandonment and have a fear of people leaving my life and losing people. You know, I am very reluctant to have anybody be a part of my life because I, it's, it's not, it's not that I'm afraid of something. It's that I, it's an actual experience of mine. It's, you know, it's not like, I'm just afraid people are going to leave. It's like, no people left me <laughs> and it's in my DNA. It's like at a cellular level. Um, so, um, so dealing with trauma had actually led me to, um, like this overextension and personal development where it was like, oh my gosh, 
these I I'm not educated I didn't go to college I you know I didn't come from pedigree like I you know my dad was a drug dealer he was abusive he beat the shit out of us and was in jail and drowned in a river you know it's like that's not the story that puts you in you know set up to go to Stanford and and then become you know whatever and and do a startup and have funding and get a you know unicorn valuation like that's that's not usually the track that gets you there and so when I got exposed to sales and I got exposed to learning that if I just learn from this guy, Brian Tracy or Ogmandino or Jeffrey Gittimer or Zig Ziglar or anybody, name them. If I can learn their, their practices, this can be applied to anything. So I started to learn personal development, right? How do you read? How do you write? How do you communicate effectively? And it led to this overextension of trying to overdevelop myself like that you'll see this regularly in the personal development space that once you're exposed to it it's almost unbelievable how simple it is but how powerful it is right like there's no way like all i have to do is change my beliefs and like believe and like have a mindset of belief and visualize it and it happens it's like yeah that's it good luck <laughs> it's like you, they, it's, it's, if it's easy to do, it's, it's easy not to do. And so it, it actually led to this uh, extension of like, dude, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with the, with trying to, trying to actualize what all of these guys are talking about today. So if they say you can become anything, it's about who you're becoming. It's about, you know, making an impact. It's about serving humanity, all these things. Well, there's a massive gap between where I am today and that person. So in my mind, I feel the pressure that I have to be that person today. I have to be a millionaire today. I have to, I have to put myself in a financial position today. And the truth is, is you're, you're just not going to do that without insane risk and possibly over leveraging and, and really jeopardizing your future. Um, and so I had anxiety to, to overperform and anxiety to connect people and anxiety to pour into their life. And, um, and what I realized was I was too short-sighted in what, in, I, I believed I could accomplish a lot. I just didn't understand the value of time. And so um, what I learned, that's where I, I came to that conclusion. I just did basic math and I was like, okay, I'm gonna start journaling for real every day, but I need a definite end. And it has to be about who I'm becoming. So I said this statement and I said, man, one year is like no time. Five years, you're not even going to have an exit or an m and if, if you have a company, right? Like no liquidation event. That's average time seven to 10 years. So I was like, dude, if I'm going to have a, you know, a, a nine-figure exit from a business and, um, that I built and IPO, whatever. I would have to have the right idea today, have the funding, have the people and have the market for it and have the exposure and still probably fail, <laughs> right? Like, you, I mean, you've got to be so right um, to hit that. And so anyways, I just gave myself 20 years to get there. And that, by doing that, by saying, I'm going to set a 20-year table for what table I want to be at, if I want to be at the table with the most intentional philanthropists, Hugh, I actually have to become one of them. I cannot get to that table and be the guy I am today and say, man, Richard Branson, man, Chuck Feeney, 
man, Bill Gates, man, you guys, oh, tell me all about your journey. You know, it's at that point, you're just a fan. At that point, you're just another spectator. You've got fantasies, right? So uh, for me, it was, okay, game on. I don't need to meet with these people. I need to be one of these people. And to be one of these people, you got to have a fucking vision for it. You don't just be one of these people. <laughs> it's not like I woke up and I'm Bill Gates. It's like, no, you built the biggest software company. <laughs> That's why he's Bill Gates, right? Or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or fill in the blank or Jeff Bezos or Blake Mykoski or Scott Harrison or whoever you wanted to be, fill in the blank. They built that they became that person by building that vision and getting by into it. And so it was like, okay, I've got 20 years. And what I did is I factored in, it may take me five years to figure out what the answer is that I'm after. And then I've got 15 years. And that means I could fail two to three times and then land on the right one and have about 11 to 12 years to really get it. That's how much that, that was my math, basic math. Like this is real life. This is what it's probably going to take me. So by the time I'm 53, I should be done. So I started in 2014 and it took me five years to craft the statement that I gave you to say, you know, September 25th, 2035, I have in my possession 10 billion US dollars used to fund five universities on principle and gospel truth. They connect society through language, agriculture, mathematics, space travel, and technology. I built Para and invested the profits in the most successful tech IPOs. It was attained through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Glory to God. And that's it. And I'm done. It took me five years to get that worded. To get that worded. So guess what? Call it a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I'm right on schedule. <laughs> right on schedule. I like it. <laughs> um, so, so Endo, I... Thanks so much for sharing, by the way. Uh, so just, we won't have time to go into a lot of this history, but Ando has also been uh, in Bible college in Hungary, which is where he met his wife. He was a uh, pastor, he was a carpenter. Um, and yeah, I, I think you were making like $2.50 an hour, like <laughs> something like that yeah. as, an, as an apprentice. Yeah. Uh, do you... Yeah, can you can you talk a little bit about about your uh, like faith or what some people say like walk with God like yeah. however however you want to phrase it because it actually is a pretty impactful part of your life mm -hmm. but uh, but the interesting thing is that it's you're not like there isn't a Christian in the universe who like would know how to categorize you or would know how to like <laughs> like. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, no, you're not yeah. Wrong. yeah. Do you want to talk about like maybe some of your journey and and like your thinking around that philosophy? Yeah. Um, again, it comes back to a question of uh, I was at a winter camp at a Calvary Chapel at a youth camp, and I was at coffee with one of the youth leaders, and she's like, "So, do, like, what's your deal with God?" You know, and I was like, "I believe in Him." She's like, "Well, why don't you just give your life to Him?" And I said, "I could do that." She's like, "Okay." I was like, "Okay, deal." Like you know, sign me up. <laughs> and, and that was it. And for me, I'm, I'm pretty like, once I'm in, I'm in, I don't, I don't think about it, you know? And, and so I read the Bible, I went to Bible college and, and when I read the Bible, I believed it. 
And I said, okay, I don't, I don't need to keep reading this, you know, for like rereading it and rehashing it. And, um, and then I went to, I went to church and I pastored a church and, um, and, and here's what I've come to in my, and this is why I say in my beliefs is there's, I, I would say there's a difference between having a set of beliefs and being a believer and um, being a believer is actualizing your belief system right? Um, it's, and, and I know a lot of people that have very strong beliefs and are not believers. They actually don't believe what their set of beliefs claim they believe. And when Jesus was with his disciples, when he would calm the storm or, you know, heal the sick or whatever, his biggest problem with them was he said, why do you not have faith? What was he saying? Why don't you believe? This isn't you, you guys are Jews. You have all of the beliefs. You have the law and the prophets. You don't believe. You do not believe. And that was a problem for him. And, and so I take that as God is not interested. You know, when it comes to sin, all of the sins were forgiven. What he had a problem with was their belief system. Hey, you don't believe. You don't believe in, you, you're not believing if you did you'd see the signs and miracles right you would see the fruit on the tree i see no fruit and so our generation is going through this identity crisis of the hippies got the word of god and started to settle down and have families and transition out of that you know the lsd culture well then our culture is the byproduct of fundamental christianity of like oh there were families and they went to church and had sunday school and kiwanis and um i didn't get all that but there were a lot of people that did and now those kids our generation millennials they're saying dude i that that doesn't work for me as a professional that doesn't work for me in the gig economy that doesn't work for me as a 1099 that doesn't work for me as a transient that doesn't work for me in lgbqt that doesn't work for me in 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 blm that doesn't work for me in me too movement that doesn't work like there is so much change in our generation that our that the the belief system doesn't fit the believing lifestyle anymore right so I've had to transition out of this. I still say, I hold these beliefs that Jesus is Lord. The hardest question, I was talking to my buddy yesterday, and I don't want to go too long, but I was talking to my good buddy. That is a, he, I taught him at Bible college and solid dude and lives in Portland. And he's like, dude, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with my beliefs. And I said, I don't, I'm not interested in your beliefs. I want to know if you're a believer. Do you still believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in it? Because that's what it comes down to. Ultimately, if you give up on the belief that Jesus rose from the dead, you don't have anything. Paul said, if Jesus died and was buried and didn't raise from the dead, we are the most miserable people of everyone because we believe in a dead man. <laughs> he did. He said, There's a, good luck. But if he raised from the dead, watch out. You could do anything. So, so to me, I'm a believer. I have, I have beliefs, but I'm a believer in the goodness of God and the love of God. And, and I say, if God is love, which the Bible says God is love, I shouldn't have to tell you about God. You should feel the love in my life when I leave the room. You should say, that guy, I don't know who that guy was, but man, did I feel loved. And I say, 
then we could talk about your belief system once you know there is love because you're not going to buy into it anyways if you don't feel there's love if you say well it's just a set of beliefs i could go to this guy i could go to that guy and say they can't give you this experience because they don't have the love of god in their heart they just have a set of beliefs now if you want us to have a set of beliefs then we can talk about that i'm not really interested in it so the main thing that is now yeah very few people can categorize by who i am i just say look, I believe the Bible is true. I believe what Jesus said is true. And everything that I look at in the Bible, I just look at as asking questions. So, you know, in the church, they'll say, be a Berean. Because the Bereans in Athens, when Paul went through there, he preached the word to them and they went and sought for themselves to see if it was true they read the scriptures to see if it was true and they said we believe because we've seen we, we've read it and we believe it and so people say you need to be a berean and study and i say well hold on how long was paul and berea for before they believed how long did they study for before they before they came to that conclusion he was only there for a few weeks and then he left and then it says that paul or timothy and silas followed not long after or Titus, or I don't know which one says Silas, followed right after, went and met him down and, and, and said, hey, we're leaving. So the, the Bereans didn't have, you didn't have a, a, a long sample size of them studying the word of God. And so we say these stupid things in, in, in the church, trying to convince people they need to study the Bible. And it's like, for two weeks, and then you're done? because you can't tell half the story. You can't just take out a piece of it and try and tell me something and sell me a bag of goods. That's not what it is. And that was situational because of the city before that, not many people believed. So what was that situation? And then the one before that, where he stayed for three years and taught at the school in Ephesus. What about that situation? Do I need to change my set of beliefs every time I see a different circumstance? No, I see it and I believe it. And the statement that I put in the publication for Para was a proverb in the book of Proverbs. And it says, buy the truth and sell it not and wisdom and understanding. And, and for me, it's, if you believe this is true, if you believe the resurrection, if you are stupid enough to believe it once, don't, don't unbelieve it because then you're even dumber. It, like if you were that dumb to think a guy raised from the dead and he, and he went up into heaven, just stick with that story because you're going to look real dumb when you go back on it. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't even on drugs when I believed that. Right? I just like level-headedly believed Jesus raised from the dead. Just stay with that story because you got a lot more going for you in life than if you're like, I don't think the resurrection through. I'm not a believer anymore. Like you are, you are scarier to me than somebody that believes in the resurrection. Because you, you have now gone back on two very polarizing thoughts. One that a guy raised from the dead, and then that he didn't. What the hell happened from here to here to change your mind? That's a big change of, my, of philosophy. So I just say, buy the truth and sell it not. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through seasons where you stop believing. You're going to go through seasons where you question the resurrection. You're going to go through seasons where you wonder, is it okay to be homosexual? You're going to wonder, is it okay if I talk to my friends about homosexuality? What if I'm a homosexual? What if, I mean, you go through all of these thoughts, all of them, all the time. It's real life. And the one thing I hold on to is you never go to market. 
you never go to market and you never put the truth on the table and say, what could you give me in exchange for what I believed? What I once believed, I hold dear. And David said in the Psalms, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I say, I'm going to need it. I may not need it today, but I guarantee you I'm not trading it in for $5 for a cheeseburger because I had a bad day at work. That, that's not going to happen. And that's my thoughts. Yeah, and I worked for $2 an hour. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I do have one quick follow-up question. I'm curious. Yes. As someone who is very, very well-versed and a believer, I'm, I'm curious on what your take is because I, I do, do have a lot of curiosities there, being a multicultural mixed blood. Yeah. From uh, Chinese and English descent, quite a bit of a mutt. What are your thoughts on not just the word of God through testaments and such, but also other religions? Yeah. Yeah. So a wonderful question. Um, I am at so much peace with people that have a set of beliefs um, because it's guidance, right? Like to me, there's universal principles that hold true. Um, and I learn from all of them. And I think that just because something's written in another book and, and it may not be in the Bible, doesn't mean it's not true. There are things that are true that are universally true. I don't have to have it. It doesn't have to be quoted in the Bible for it to be, to be true. <laughs> there are true things in Taoism. There are true things in Hinduism. There are true things in all of these. And for me, that's a social question, a cultural question. Where are you born into? That is your sphere of influence. How were you raised? What was given to you? And that's a whole different conversation to me. The four agreements, if you've ever read that book, um, is you have you are making agreements right now. And that may say, well, my parents taught me to this, taught me this. Well, you did you agree to believe that? Because, or did you agree you can create a new agreement? and say, I'm going to say that was what I was taught, but that's not what I believe. Um, and so for me, I, I, I am fascinated by um, religion. I'm fascinated by systematic approaches to an end result. And I think in the end, um, that's why the gospel to me is so beautiful because it says to love God as yourself and love or love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it is the gospel is a gospel of love. We've made it a gospel of grace. I don't think it's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of love because Paul said there's faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And we say, well, Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus didn't have a problem with our sins. He already did that. He said, it's finished. Why would you bring that up? Yet all we talk about in church is not sinning, not watching porn. Porn, like, remember when porn was like a big deal in church? I don't know if that's a big deal. It's like, I think like everybody has smartphones and like everybody watches porn and is like, I think it's just like a normally socially accepted, like people talk about it all the time. So I, I guess like, like 10 years ago, like 15 years ago before smartphones, I think it, it was like this big thing in the church, you know? So they, they would always like, they'd always allude to like porn, you know, like don't watch porn and all this. So it's just, I just think it's funny because the world kind of moved on from like that conversation. Um, but the, the focus in the church is generally on not sinning and there's grace and, and, and repent and, and all this. And I say, that's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of love. God so loved the world that he demonstrated it by sending his only son and died for us, right? That's a demonstration of love, agape love, sacrificial love. And so the gospel to me has lost in, in society and in the church movement, in a branded church movement with liturgy, it's lost the love aspect of it. And it's, and it's trended towards repentance and forgiveness and grace. And, you know, it's the gospel of grace. They say, it's not the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of love. It is a story of redemption and it is gracious and there is grace involved, but it is about true love and, and, a, and a rest and a restorative love. And that's what compels me. So, um, so yeah, there you go. I would, thanks so much. Yeah. I would, I would, I would love to keep going, but, uh, we only paid for a parking. <laughs> <laughs> my van's gonna get towed, guys. That's my house. After all that, <laughs> parking tickets. <laughs> like, am I gonna get towed? <laughs> That's love. Endo, <laughs> uh, do you want to say any parting thoughts? Any words of wisdom to our one or two listeners? Um, yeah. So a promotion for anything you want to promote to again our one or two listeners. Yeah. Um, well. Well. First, uh, you guys are are wonderful, and and I and I would say this in in all you know, like all joking aside is get this thing to, to a million subscribers and, and believe that and, and get it to, you know, it's, it's easy to not have a goal because then there's no accountability. Um, you guys have, you have charisma, you have a great set of beliefs and you are, you're wonderful humans. Um, and we need more of that. And, and if you can unlock more good, um, be a catalyst for change and don't sell yourself short and don't be self-deprecating and tell yourself some bogus story that we don't, you know, it's, it's like just kind of a thing. It's not a thing. It's a real thing. And you're putting time into it and your time is important and you get one shot at this. Um, so I would say to you guys, take this to the moon because that's the name of the freaking show. Let's have some tea on the moon. Oh, Let's go. <laughs> so, so I would say, you know, for you, that's my message to you guys. And, and I believe that since day one, it's like, dude, come on, let's go. What do we got to do? You know, like, let's, let's promote it. Um, and then I guess the, the closing thought for me is, is become a believer for crying out loud. Believe it, you know, b- believe that you can do anything and, uh, and, and stop banking on beliefs to get the job done. Beliefs are just the framework for you to believe in something. But you got to, once you get that, then go believe it. Like, go do that, you know? So um, find your find your pole on the wall or, you know, your Mars, but find your empty pole and then, and then find your pole with your stadium filled and, and visualize who you're becoming and become one of those people at that table um, and, and, and live that life because you, you are, as humans, we're so unique and we have one shot and I'm not gonna live my life apologizing that I was created and that I have care and passion and love. I'm gonna live that and, and the detractors, I'll cancel out the haters and then I will find the people that are listening. So that's it. So good to get to be on. Thanks guys. Amazing. Wow. Well, with that, I guess we'll sadly come to a close. Mr. Ando, again, thank you so, so much. Yeah. coming on the podcast with that everybody thank you again for tuning into another episode of the moon tea podcast where we talk about craft community and building meaningful careers mm. 
tune in next time next week for another episode of something going somewhere let's get to 30 subscribers and then let's get to, to the moon, moon. <laughs> see everybody Bye guys.